Good afternoon again, and um, I will make a little introduction. I uh, maybe not like many places where people uh, know nothing of my background. I go to get into a number of conferences and things like this to share. But um, what do we need? You oh, that's a. I don't. Is there wheels on this? If it is, then we're in trouble. Okay, but that's okay. I, I don't, I'm not going to refer too much, but I need to have a watch on what you're seeing behind me. Now, let's get started. I uh, hope to not uh, take overly long. Somebody asked me how long it would be. I don't know. I'll try not to go too much over an hour. After all, there is the evening meal. And the worst thing a brother can do if I come to his church to speak is to tell me it doesn't matter. That's bad. Uh, anyway, I will try to be uh, around an hour or just just a shade over that. Uh, I probably won't be here till next year, and so... Uh, This is a chance to share as much as we can. Uh, First, a bit of, uh, as I I said, in some places I have to say who I am and where I came from. I think everyone here knows. I do want to mention on the table back there are uh, the books that we have. Uh, A lot of people say we read your book, which was not our book, but Sister Rosalie Donna Flutter, who wrote about our first 25 years in Papua New Guinea. We have a few of those. The ones that I wrote, I write for, I try to look at the, the, the lines I write and to catch, include as many people. That is, I don't want to turn off the Jews from reading it. I don't want to turn off certain segments of what is called the church, not our, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the entity from Rome on, which has later come down to uh, a huge number of different opinions. But anyway, um, I I try to visualize who who is going to hear it to catch as many people as possible without losing them immediately. Uh, You have to watch, I I do write with a lot of tongue-in-cheek, you have to watch for the exclamation marks at the end of the sentence to be sure to know whether, uh, uh, to to what irony is included in the statement. The first book, Where is the Body, has had the most international uh, response. It has been translated into Russian, which we were able to raise, well, to include from uh, what we had to publish from the first book and recouped it, we were able to buy 5,000 copies in Russian and distribute them free to those who are working with Soviet Jews. And uh, also there is a tremendous outbreak of evangelicals in the former Soviet Union. And this does have an effect to them on how to relate to the Jews and what is his position and what is God doing now. Anyway, there is a Russian book back there for a sample. I think it's the last one I have left. We don't sell those. Those are free, but you can't have it unless you can read it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I'm pretty safe. Not even my Serbian brethren can read, read it with understanding. Uh, anyway, uh, and there's Finnish. It's been done in Dutch, and we've had a number. Uh, we don't. I have no time whatsoever to do this, and we we don't um, push it at all. If the if the language group wants it, they have to do it. Of course, they have to get permission from the publisher. Anyway, there are books back there, and what I cannot say today, I will refer you to one or the other of the books. I do not follow the old traditional seven-year tribulation line. Um, it's not in the Bible. Uh, Daniel spoke of a 70th week, and it was concocted about 130, uh, no, 170 years ago that, well, this 70th week must be the tribulation. It may have something to do with tribulation, but would people please explain to me or tell the, the, the um, Sudanese people that the tribulation hasn't started yet, or even the people in Rome who, who suffered from the, in the arena uh, and with the lions, the, it is pure speculation that what is called the trib is seven years long. And end time focus has been looking at that period of time, which as I said is a bit f fictitious, and not at what Jesus said. And I, call, I like to call him his Hebrew name, Yeshua. Uh, it kind of warms my heart that's Hebrew, and it, maybe I'm a little bit Jewish. I think that uh, we've got a few Jews in the uh, auditorium here, whether they've told you or not. But anyway, uh, and probably quite a few of you more that don't know it. And of course, those of us who know him, we are all into the family by adoption. Anyway, I'm talking too much and not what I'm getting at here. Actually, that clock is good. It's five minutes slow. <laughs> I was speaking in a Messianic group the other night, and I was looking at my watch and trying to get done on time, and some guy went into the back of the room, and he picked up the clock, and he hauled it off, and he said, forget it. Uh, anyway, um, I do want to get into what is behind me here on the screen. There is also an email sign-up sheet. If you are interested in what I am sharing now, you might want to sign up for our emails. I do not send you the news. Those of you who are interested, which I hope would be everyone that has a computer, can get the news on certain um, uh, news, news reports by Christian journalists in Jerusalem or even the Jerusalem Post will tell you more about than what you hear in the United States or Canada about what's going on. Uh, my fourth chapter in the second book is called Lies and Rumors of Lies. It's about the media. And anyway, enough of that. The books are there and uh, the uh, email sign-up sheet. And also there are some handouts. And I want to make a brief introduction to this. Uh, the handouts I have back there I said there were Jews among us here, maybe known or unknown, including myself. By the way, my wife here, I always joked at her as my goyim wife. You know goyim? That's Hebrew for Gentile. My Gentile wife. Her name was Conrad before she was married. 
And I just found a variant spelling of Conrad, C-O-E-N-R-A-D, Cohenrod. Cohen is priest. And anybody by the name of Cohen from Mickey Cohen on, you know he is Jewish and also probably from the Levitical line. And there are a lot of our background, Anabaptist, Bible believers, gathering in homes away from the state institutions like the Jews who hid out against this, the authorities of the, the uh, established and state churches. Anyway, enough of that, uh, but these handouts uh, that we have back there are largely about what we found in Papua New Guinea. I don't, I, I like to say Hebraic roots, not Jewish roots because the Jewish came along a bit later, but Hebraic roots in the Pacific Islands, and this is another message in itself. There are over, uh, I think, about 15 references of the islands of the sea in the New Testament, uh, Old Testament, uh, about 10 in Isaiah alone. And they, most of them reflect messianic promise in the end of days to the Far East. Okay, Malta is an island and so is the United Kingdom. But I don't think that's what the islands of the sea refer to in Isaiah. And uh, we heard this morning about these street kids. I got to throw this out for the sake of cutting else something short. There are no street kids in the Papua New Guinea or in the Pacific Islands. Why? Because the Hebraic, in, uh, the Greek influences, which I'm going to talk about before we get done, the Greek influences have not been felt in those islands. And so when the missionaries came to an animus people, they got the Bible. And today, Jerusalem means Jerusalem. It doesn't mean something else up there. Jew means Jew. God means God, and it is not explained away in the islands as it has been in the Western world. Thank God in our fellowship, most of this has been shunted off as in the Pacific Islands, but perhaps not altogether. And we're going to get into that as we come down the, right, the left side of the chart back here. This, by the way, is the basis of my next book. And unfortunately, I feel real bad, but we have to leave early tomorrow morning because I'm, we're headed out for Israel tomorrow afternoon to write my next book. And we just felt so good about getting here again this time, but uh, we have to go, so we'll take a rain check for next year, hopefully, if the Lord doesn't come back by then. If, if he comes, we'll see you over there. And uh, anyway... Um, what I was talking about, the, the Pacific Islands, there has been revival. Among, you saw those thousands on the pictures. This is ongoing. And we've had several revivals over the years since Rosalie wrote the book. The biggest one is when they found out that Jerusalem was on this planet and not somewhere on the backside of Mars or up in heaven. And you cannot believe the response. Why? They're not Greek, like the Western world. Anyway, we're going to get to that. Uh, enough of that. Uh, handouts are back there indicating some of the research 
that we found uh, next to Papua New Guinea, one of the islands that I have been to, we love the most, is Vanuatu, which was formerly the New Hebrides. And uh, some guy read my, uh, a young, he, I'm sure he went to university, he's got a, quite a good job in the Department of Labor there, a national Vanuatuan, he read my book. And I have in the, that's the first one, a little bit in there about, you know, these bits and pieces of lost tribes and Jewish traits. And he got so excited because the Presbyterian missionary who came there in 1941, 1941 to 1973, did some research. And he wrote a book that's long been hidden away. Who cares where it is? This is old stuff, and it doesn't add to the world economy. Guy found this book. And uh, in there, in Vanuatu, there were two tribes identified about 300 miles apart. Now, Vanuatu has, I don't know how many islands, about 100 or something like this, and uh, almost that many languages. But these two tribes were 300 miles apart. And the word for high God, before the white man ever got there, in one it was Yehoah, Asori, I don't know what a sorry is, but I got an idea what Yehoah is. And the other one was Yehoah Asiki or something like that. And my heathen spelling corrector, when I typed this out, suggested that instead of Yehoah, it should be spelled with a J, Jehovah. Uh, anyway, uh, that was their name for God before the white man ever got there. And they practiced circumcision. We found that several tribes in Papua New Guinea also practice circumcision. Anyway, enough of that. I'm running behind time. The handouts are there if you are interested. I haven't even blown the shofar yet. And I do this very seriously. I ask the Lord's blessing here. Not that he won't bless it, but it's just a part of what I have been sharing these days. Father... Father God, again, we have nothing to offer unless you build a house, unless you touch your servant and touch the ears and understanding of your servants. We have nothing to offer. Lord God, may this be your hour of understanding. We rededicate this room to you this afternoon and ask for the anointing, the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua. We declare your power and your authority over what we share today and understanding in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis 3.5, and I ask your excuse, I, I use a, an international version because I get all over the place. Uh, 
that it's easier for other languages than, than the King James. I love the King James. Verse 1 to 5 in Genesis 3, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. Slippery Slim said to the woman, that's my translation, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, in linguistics, we got the understanding that words, uh, of course, have different meanings as your your thesaurus. If anybody used that, you find out different words. But it's not... What's not as important is that these two words mean almost the same thing. It's why they are different. The difference is the importance in the word that we use. And when the serpent says you are going to be like God, to be like something, you've got a lot of variations there, and he's talking about craftiness or wittiness and not holiness. Deception number one. And so God wants us to be like him. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants to put his thoughts in our minds and his anointing, his direction on our hands. And in Deuteronomy 4, uh, this is the John 3.16 of the Jews, that uh, you shall bind them on your foreheads and upon your hands, and, and they do this. The Orthodox Jews have a little box with the law on it. I, I'm sure that's not quite what the Almighty had in mind. But the fact is, what we think and what we do should be totally dedicated to God. But through His Spirit, this is the direction that we all want to move and do move. But He's got the concept of knowing right and wrong. Isaiah Uh, I think it's chapter 5 says, Woe unto those that call good evil and evil good, light darkness and darkness light, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that's where we are today. And we're going to get on to that down the left-hand side of the chart behind us. Uh, Let's have a look at that. The timeline is coming down from the tree. We've got a time of judgment. There was Noah. We have a time of scattering, which is Babel. And then the Almighty calls out Abraham, and he says, Abraham, get out of this place. There's a war coming in the 2000s. This is Babylon. The demonic capital of the world, it always was, and it always will be until the bitter showdown. Abraham, or Abram in the beginning, I'm going to send you over here to another place. It's called Canaan or Canaan, but we're going to change that name because they have been evil like Sodom and Gomorrah, and I want them removed from there, and 
The plan was that his people would remove them. Now what land did he send him to? You know what? It wasn't Israel. That was before Jacob's time. It certainly wasn't Palestine because it was before the Jew-hating Emperor Hadrian who came along and said we're going to call this Palestine in, in, in uh, hatred of the Jewish people, naming it after God's age-old enemies and David's, the Philistines. The nations of the world love it and relish it today, but there is no such place. And ironically, the first Palestinian so-called since they used the name, though it was, a, it was fiction, it was created out of bitterness and hatred, they used the name first for the Jews who began to come back in 1880 to reclaim the land. According to the vision and dream of those, those in Europe who smelled Hitler coming along even before perhaps that he was born. And they saw it was, well, yeah, it was been before he was born. They realized trouble was coming. And they started to trickle back to the land, and Mark Twain, reprobate that he was, he wrote, along with many theologians and historians, that nobody lived there in those, those times. And what about the Palestinians who say they've been living there for 5,000 years? Never let a bit of propaganda get in the way of a good story. Uh, never let the truth get in the way of some good propaganda. The, the, these people who are not Palestinians, they're Arabs. They moved in after the British took over in World War I, and that's when the flood of Edomites, Edomans, flooded in where Palestinians who had been living there for 5,000 years. Never mind that Abraham was only 4,000 years back. Uh, anyway... They first, the Turks first nicknamed the Jews Palestinians when they came back, when they got statehood in 1948. We don't need that fictitious name. Anyway, it wasn't Palestine to where he, God sent Abraham. It was, he said 12 time, 20 times in the book of Deuteronomy to Moses, the land where the Lord your God has chosen to put his name in a polarity to demonic Babylon which has had several representations of the enemy of Almighty God. And, of course, in King Nebuchadnezzar's time, the satanic presentation was one. Today, we have another one. I think I mentioned in one of my books that the only thing worse than a Saddam Hussein is anarchy. Guess what happened in Babylon, Iraq? And uh, it's not over yet. Enough of that. Abraham, build me a family, and we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But how many of you know a family that has problem kids? And um, anyway, the family of promise had a couple of problem kids. God told Abraham his, his uh, offspring would be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And he's waiting 20 years. Nothing happens. And Sarah's not getting any younger. So he took matters in his own hands. The advice of Sarah. Collusion together. And, of course, you know the story. How many of you know that the time... I wish more younger guys were here. Got some. 
when you take matters in your own hands, you get an Ishmael. And Ishmaels don't go away very fast. We have them today. So that's what happened, and we had one problem child in the family, and then along comes Isaac. He got twin boys. Neither one were all that flesh to begin with. Jacob was a bit tricky. Esau was a bit jealous. You know the story. I won't go into that. And uh, the scripture said that Esau cried bitter crocodile tears. And that's not what the Almighty wants of us. He wants a change of heart. Esau never had one. Jealous, violent, bitter, competitive. He never repented. Jacob did. He had a wrestling match one night with an entity from the Almighty. It says the angel, but I believe like the fourth in the fiery furnace, like Melchizedek, like uh, the, the uh, presentation that, that, um, the, that um, Joshua met. Who are, whose side are you on? Ours are theirs. He says, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. There seemed to be something different about these than an angel, and many people think it was a pre-incarnate presentation of the Lord himself. But whatever that was, Jacob had a wrestling match, and he hung on. And from that day on, he never walked the same again. And so his name was changed from supplanter which I think was a name given to him by his loving, ever-loving brother. And uh, he was changed to you have struggled with God and prevailed. So the problem kids, we have them. And um, there is a verse to look up there. You can get one of these handouts at the back. I didn't want to pass them out in the beginning. And if we run out... Whoever takes the last one is responsible for making copies for the rest. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's, there's the verse from, uh, look it up, Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 19. And that is about Amalek. God told Moses, never forget to, never forget what Amalek did to you. Who, what, who is this Amalek fella? It was the grandson of Esau from a concubine. Al Amalek is symbolic of, he is symbolic of uh, Satan to the Jewish people today. He, he's, their, he's their nemesis, he's their, he's their adversary, he is their, their, their opposition. And they say that the terrorists are Amalek. And so, anyway, um, we, we've got... Um, We've got the Amalek, and, and I don't know if you, how many of you have ever caught it in reading that Haman, whose plan it was to destroy the Jews, like everybody else around, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar had his own way, the Romans, the Greeks wanted to subvert their thinking, and he certainly has, as long with many of us, Hitler, Yasser Arafat, and the new guy, Abu Abbas, or Mahmoud Abad is his other name. And uh, Haman was just one in the string of many. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. So there we have it. 
And uh, Herod, I cannot prove that he was from Amalek, but he was certainly from one of the lines of Esau. And he's called the Edomaean in Greek or the Edomite. And uh, he is one of those in that family of problem kids, those two families of problem kids. We get down to, uh, you follow those stars down the center. Um, I'm not going to go into them. You'll get a sheet back there and you look them up to see why I have chosen those stars. Anyway, the cross enters the star. In, uh, enters the star in the middle there, and of course Herod did not even blink with killing 2,000 Jewish boy babies in an attempt to eliminate the Jewish Messiah, the new king that the wise men spoke about. Nothing is new. We come up about 700 A.D., and one of the Ishmael, line of Ishmael, a guy named Mohammed down there in Mecca, Medina somewhere. It's Medina over here and Medina over there, so just so you don't get confused with the two. I like Medina. <laughs> anyway, anyway, he, he um, um, gets his new system, which is a resurrection of the moon god Allah. And you can read, there's all kinds of stuff written about this if you want to follow it up. It is totally, totally, totally satanic. And, of course, uh, he reckons that all the Jews will buy into this and he's the new head and they didn't want it, so he's written, I don't have them back there, but I've, I've looked up some verses in the Quran which says what is supposed to be done to them, to the Jews, and to us uh, if they don't bow the knee to Allah. And it's not nice. I think most of you are on the same page as far as this is concerned. I don't know if you realize how far this has gone and how little the governments of the world can do anything about it. We need a Messiah. We need the Messiah. And uh, uh, anyway, that's in the literature. There's stuff that I have written there and, and uh, some more is coming. Anyway, this new system... Neither the Christians, which were probably rather um, not the born-again kind that we would relate to, but the Christians of that day, neither did they turn to Allah. And so uh, that's where the hatred has stemmed from all that time. Then, um, then... um, Well, there were the Crusades in there when the, the uh, so-called church in Europe came down to run the Mohammedans out of the Holy Land as if they cared about how holy it was and uh, the Jews got bashed at, 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 uh, in the course of things and also Islam then came back to run out the infidels, the Crusaders. And this is why if you go have a meeting, never inv- <laughs> invite the Jews to a gospel crusade. <laughs> they, they won't buy it. <laughs> it means trouble. It means death. It means persecution. That's the wrong word. Um, and uh, we don't use that language anyway here. So uh, anyway, that's the crusades. Then everything was quiet for about, um, that's 1,200, 1,200 and so, 800 years, something. 
everything is quiet until 9-11. Kind of like a deadly wound that was healed. Now, I don't know that that's the deadly wound that's healed, and in prophecy, things go over and over again, uh, a repeated prophecy, because sometimes when we don't learn our lesson, the Most High gives it to us over again or gives it to his creation over again. Anyway, um, yeah, the deadly wound that was healed. Now, I should tell you that 40 years ago, I knew everything there was to know about end-time prophecy. 30 years ago, I started over. Today, I know two things, and I'm going to tell them to you before I get done, hopefully before the time I set. One is that the sixth trumpet in Revelation was blown on 9-11. You know what the sixth trumpet is? Out of the Euphrates River comes an army of 200 million. Of course, everybody from my generation and down is supposed to know that that's China. Forget it. China is not marching on Jerusalem. They're marching on Wall Street. But they said back in my day that, uh, they said back in my day that uh, uh, it was China because it was so big. Well, you see, this is the reasoning that gets passed on, passed on, passed on, word of mouth. And people swallow hook, line, and sinker without looking in their Bible or even in their newspapers. Uh, anyway, I have in my second book, I get down to the army of 200 million. And I said, let any Jew, sorry, I talk this way, but let any Jew get his greasy fingerprints on one of those two mosques on the Temple Mount. We're going to have 200 million Boy Scouts right now with sticks, stones, and Kalashnikov rifles. And they may not all get to Jerusalem, but they'll do a lot of trouble in between. That was in the book. Do you know what date the thing went to press? September 11th, 2001. I might have told some of you this before, but anyway, I, was, I called up the publisher with the last two typos, 2 o'clock in the morning in Australia. I had two typographical errors to give her, and I had to wait till you guys wake up over here, and it was 10 o'clock in the morning in Mobile, Alabama, where the publisher was, and she was gone berserk. She said, did you hear the news? I said, no. I don't usually watch the news at two o'clock in the morning. And um, anyway, she started out, this plane went here and this plane went there. I had actually two comments on the World Trade Center in that book before it happened on the basis of what they tried in 93. <clears throat> anyway, I didn't even know what the thing looked like. She's talking about the South Tower and the North Tower, and I didn't know what she's talking about. Then she said, Pentagon, I, was on, I, was, I got, got the picture. She said, we're under attack. There's one still up there. We don't know what's going to happen. And then she paused a couple of seconds, which was kind of like an eternity sort of a thing, and then she said, are you surprised? I said, well, no. I said, you're the one that read my manuscript, which was partially about Islamic terror. And anyway, that is the background to that. I had gotten in that one section on the seven trumpets. How many of you know what number comes after? You got any mathematicians here? What number comes after six? <laughs> and you know what's going to happen on the second, seventh trumpet? 
I'm getting excited. That's why I want the young people here. And I say that the sixth trumpet was blown on 9-11. And I don't think we've got too much time left. Yes, we've got to plan for careers. We've got to take care of our families. We've got to take care of our future. But we also got to realize what the prophet said. I'm excited. And I'm going to go as long as I can to tell the world, get your house in order. Messiah's coming. Anyway, let's have a quick look at the... Oh, somebody take the clock out. <laughs> anyway, um, the um, 200 million. Today there are 1,200 million 1,200 million, that's 1.2 billion Muslims alive. And our leaders will stand on their heads and tell us all, and the media, about the, this good Islam. They're good people. God loves them. He wants to save them from the terrific lies and delusion that they're in. Some of them are very nice neighbors, at least now. But forget those. 1,200 million divided by 200 million is six. And if you have one out of six Muslims that are subversive, terrorists, helping terrorists, hiding terrorists, uh, aiding them, planning them in any way, uh, in this thing of world, they predict, project a world takeover by 2050. And I hope Messiah comes a long time before that. But this is a judgment on people that haven't done what they should have done. Anyway, I reckon the sixth trumpet was blown on 9-11 to show the face of an army of 200 million. They are in every university, every encyclopedia re revising committee, uh, and every, they have a foothold into every academic position in the United States and Canada, the Western world, and, and they are, uh, and Papua New Guinea, though they don't have too much clout there, but uh, the Western world, they are making progress. And what is their big asset is what we cherish so much as democracy. It is handcuffs on dealing with a subversive force that just tells us what they're going to do to us. And the world leaders are running scared of what to do with the problem. There's only one answer, the Almighty God, who's waiting in the wings for his people, for his Jewish people to call out, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, and the rest of us with them. And of course, we want repentance from the whole world. We may not get it. Keep our house in order and let our lights Shine. Okay, enough for that. I want to go down the other side. I wanted to start a long time ago, but we're, here we go. The Greek philosophers. Why do I have a triangle there? It's to fix up the 666. And everybody's talking about, well, who's 666? Who cares? Maybe it's a man. Maybe somebody will figure it, fit into the thing. Maybe it's a system. But I have one proposal put there. You know, I think God has many answers. This is why we... Sometimes we look so stupid because we're arguing about this thing from the Bible and arguing about this thing and arguing. And the way God puts it together, it's all true, 
And you can't take one thing apart from another because they, they fit together. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I mean, yes, God gives the choice. Yes, God is sovereign. They're both true. And to argue which one is true is a little bit ridiculous. Let's listen to what the Father says. Let's see what his word says. And we get into so much trouble with some of these theological things. But anyway, uh, 666. We're made of body, soul, and spirit. One concept is that this is totally humanistic in what the flesh wants, how the mind sees things, and who controls the spirit. Totally controlled by six, the number of man. Humanism. 666. That's one way of looking at it. Maybe some guy will come along and fit the bill. Of course, maybe we've had many already in history. We've had the Pope before that was a candidate. I think people kind of have dropped off with that since, uh, since um, there's been some, some at least cosmetic shift in some of their things. I, I, I don't look into what they're doing, but the fact is that People have backed off from that. Then Adolf Hitler was the beast. You know who the latest candidate is? Prince Charles. <laughs> in fact, he's building a mosque. And I mean, maybe we shouldn't laugh. He's building a mosque in Wales. Just got an email on this not long ago. The thing is, many people can fit some of these pictures because God loves to do things that lets him have the answers, and we are subject to him. Okay, Greek philosophers. Um, there was um, Socrates, brilliant man, committed suicide, I think, at 29. Not anybody that we would really be interested in emulating and following. So he wasn't so brilliant. Plato said there are three ways to get information. In his speculations, he said there is listening to a teacher like me or whatever. Somebody tells us what to think or do or say. Or reading books, this sort of thing. Studying to get information, that's one. Then he said the second one was the ladies or intuition. You know, sometimes you just feel it. You just feel it. It's, it's something's going to happen or it should be or shouldn't be or whatever. And, you know, when the tsunami hit in the, in the Indian Ocean, the animals, God gave this to them, the elephants and the rabbits and whatever, they all took off for high ground. And we humans were left without. And uh, uh, intuition, that you have a sense that there's danger or you have a sense of what you should or shouldn't do. Then the third thing he said was divine madness. Divine madness. What's that? That's the metaphysical. That you can get information from the spirit world. Now we know you get information from the Holy Spirit because he tells us what to do. Hearing God's voice within our spirits is, of course, one way of getting information. And we should be probably getting much more than we are if we are intimate with the Lord. And the same thing is true. Who comes along whispering 
to do the wrong thing. There is information that comes from the spirit world, and Plato allowed for that, but his, his pupil Aristotle did not. And he threw out this divine madness thing, and yes, the, the Greeks thinking were, they were, they were uh, uh, totally given over to paganism, but it was more good luck charms and good luck and that sort of thing than the divining to get information. So anyway, this was Aristotle's position, and we'll put that on hold, and um, oh yes, well that means also there is no spirit world. Elsie and I, and many others, had to learn about principalities and powers when we got to Papua New Guinea, and there were things that we faced there that we didn't face here. Uh, the realities of demonic opposition that wasn't just something cooked up in somebody's head, they were real. And I don't have time to go into that now, but we know the authority and the powers used by the demonic world. And our lives are tailored accordingly when we sense that Satan is out to do us some harm or do others some harm. And of course, that's part of prayer. But the fact of the reality is, it is there as Westerners, we learned from the scriptures there was a devil and certain things like this, but we didn't really see it until we got over to Papua New Guinea and understood some of these things. And I don't like to cast out demons because sometimes there's other ways to get them out by atmosphere, change, of, change of environment and uh, various things like this, but it is a reality that was wiped from the consciousness of the Western world through this little shift of gears of Aristotle. I'll clarify that in a couple of minutes. This affected the Jews back in the time of the Maccabees when they resisted, when they resisted the Hellenistic thinking in Hellenistic thinking in their lives. And in, in, uh, there, that's, a story, that's in the Apocrypha, if anybody read that, and it is how good it is, we don't know, but it is Jewish history, and it also is, um, Jesus kept that feast of, uh, feast of uh, um, dedication, um, John 10, 22, it was Solomon's porch, the time of the feast of dedication, that was the celebration of the Maccabees' victory. So this does have a relationship with the New Testament. Anyway, uh, they affected them there. And then the classic one, I believe, is the effect on the Sadducees, as you see in your chart as we're coming down the chart here. The effect on the Sadducees, that, the classic one was in, in I don't have the, the verse up there, it is Acts 23.8. When Paul was in a court, he was in the council, they, were, they had him there because of the resurrection, preaching the resurrection. He's not so dumb, he's Jewish. He looks around, he sees a bunch of Pharisees in this corner, a bunch of Sadducees over here. He says, you guys are just getting on my case because I'm a Pharisee. 
And uh, his Pharisee brethren took the bait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Sadducees over here in this corner, there was a division. And anyway, court dismissed. Read it, uh, that, that section in the 23rd chapter of Acts, and kind of read these things in there. And anyway, the next verse, the key verse, because the Sadducees believe not in demons or angels or resurrection, but... The Pharisees believed all three. Yeah, they were hypocrites, but they believed that aspect of the Bible. And, thank you, Mr. Aristotle. And these things flowed on into the Hebraic mind, and they are there today with a vengeance. The government of Israel is secular, and right as we speak, there is a tremendous battle going on trying to break the power of the God-fearing. They don't know Yeshua yet. They don't know Jesus. But there are God-fearing Jews that almost to the letter will say the same things that we do about prophecy and the secular government hates it and they want these guys out. And this is the basis of getting them out of Gaza. That's their agenda. And the West's agenda is Arab oil. How many of you know that the money of the love of money is the root of all evil? How many of you know that the love of oil is the root of all money? That's a preview of my next book. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Church fathers. These, is, this, these are a couple generations after the faithful, after the apostles, and after their offspring and their teaching, just halfway between the apostles and Constantine. Some of these guys weren't too red hot. And they came up with celibacy. Where did he get that from? The Greeks. Because in Greek thinking, not that these guys were so pure, but the thinkers, the intellectuals were way up here, and they didn't have time to mess around with, with mundane things or dirty things like getting married and having babies and things like this. So they were the thinkers, and they divorced themselves from anything of the body except they were totally corrupt and carnal in their thinking. And this was picked up in those early days, and they thought, well, this would be a good idea for the leadership in the church to not get married. How many of you know God didn't make us that way? And in the Hebraic mind, everything is under God's authority, the way he created us is to be blessed. All foods are to be blessed and with thanksgiving and all bodily functions are designed by God to be used under his authority and to be blessed. The Jewish rabbis even have a blessing for the elimination of waste. And it is a, it, it is a blessing when our bodies work properly and when somebody has an operation an abdominal operation the first thing the doctor wants to know does the plumbing still work and this is a cause for thanksgiving and and so uh this was denied by the uh, the um get back to the church fathers we got on the plumbing here <laughs> Anyway, the other, another thing that came along was anti-Semitism. Okay, the Jews, half of the Jews, not just half of them, 
didn't accept Yeshua as God's sacrificial atonement. And there was friction, but it really didn't break down until the time of the church fathers and then Constantine soon after. And as the church, the Gentile church got stronger, that hatred grew with a vengeance and Jewish persecution came. That you talk to a Jew about the cross. It's not the same thing as the offense of the cross to Paul, but you're talking about the cross. And he thinks of that thing which they have been bludgeoned with by the so-called Christian community for centuries. And you have to get around and talk to him in different terms to get him to see to find his Jesus, his Messiah. But anti-Semitism, this hatred is what, okay, God was, he, he's in control of this. But this is leading up to the crescendo. What I'm looking for is a tremendous turning to Messiah when he comes back to Jerusalem, which I think is not too far away. Okay, I got a lot more to go here, but but anyway, enough enough of that church. One other thing. Oh, demons and angels. Yes, the church. They had all kinds of witchcraft and stuff like this, and I mean they they denied the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they got into all kinds of evil. But this all came from from uh, Augustine. You know who held up Augustine as his favorite philosopher? St. Thomas Aquinas, a very noted theologian in about the 4th century. And therefore, this whole stream of things hit the Western world. And though I believe that we here have escaped most of this, yet there are subtleties, which I'm going to touch on in a few minutes, that really have engulfed us. This came to Jew, it came to Gentile in attack. As you see the attack here on our chart, the attack from both sides, and now we're going to get down to this little nitty-gritty, this little uh, five-tiered box in the bottom left-hand corner. Science, education, Geneva morality, the media, and the New World Order. And I don't want to forget to tell you the other thing I know about the end times. I told you I'd tell you two things. Okay, science. Brilliant scientists. Oh, we, by the way, we came out of the, the Dark Ages to the Age of Enlightenment with brilliant scholars like Charles Darwin who took us right back to the pit. And it wasn't even so much his understanding of the selection of the species and some of those things which could possibly have their, the development, genetic development. I mean, it does happen. But, but what the, the thing that he does, he pulls the rug out from under God. Now, I have been, I, I am a scientist. I think like a scientist. The thing is, as a scientist, it's not how it started because my Bible says, in the beginning, God. And any, I, I hesitate to say Christian scientist, <laughs> any, any scientist that's a Christian is a better way to not get somebody mixed up. But anyway... You, the Bible is first, and then you see how God did it. That's, to me, that's science. But Darwin pulled the rug out from under the Almighty, and he got a bang out of new theories. A big bang. Pun intended. Anyway, that was 
So much for science. Let's look at this education thing. When I was a kid, I didn't know this was happening. Maybe I wouldn't have gone to school. Uh, John Dewey come along, comes along, and he said, he said, you're teaching the whole educational system of America is wrong because you're teaching the wrong things. You're teaching history. Who cares about history? Well, um, George Santayana, for one, who I don't know how godly he was. I don't think he was. But he said, those who fail to learn from the past are condemned to relive it. And uh, anyway, he says, what's history? Because what's true today will not be true tomorrow. And we come upon, we, we come upon uh, situational ethics. Our behavior being related to something else. That was education and the changes. You think Madeline Murray O'Hare was bad? That's peanuts compared to this whole shifting of the fact that there is no truth. We know one who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And if there is no truth, the educational system is still in chains. Okay? So much for education. What I really want to get into, which is going to be new, is this Geneva morality. The first... And I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, I don't care which way it is, but the first guy I ever heard talk about human rights, Jimmy Carter. He's talking about human rights. What's this? Never heard that one before. And uh, human rights. Well, I tried to find it in the Bible. I found it in one verse. In the middle of Lamentations, in the middle of Lamentations, there is a verse that asks a question. You put it into an answer, ask a question, shall God deny a man his rights to stand before the Most High? In other words, we have a right, we have a right to stand before our God. And I couldn't find anything else. A couple in my translation, which is a bit faulty, is um, it's the cause the rights of this one or that one, it's not the rights, it's the needs or the cause. And, and, the, human, and the rights are, are uh, not there. Because here, again, we slice up words into meaning. And if I use the word my rights, it puts me as a little king or a big king up here, and somebody else is supposed to produce and give me what I say are my rights. Human rights are a direct corruption from this Greek thinking, the philosophical thinking of the Greeks. Human rights puts humanity in the driver's seat, behind the steering wheel. That's the difference between rights and needs. You know, these street kids, they got needs in their organizations. There are charitable organizations, there are spiritual ministries like we saw this morning out to help these kids because somebody else didn't take care of them. But the fact is, we as, we as human beings do not have rights. Shall the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Well, what is it then? It's human responsibilities, not rights. Because rights puts me up here and somebody else 
down there, and hopefully, uh, well, it should be my needs look up, hopefully not to the government, but to Almighty God. Okay, that's one. Rights of the child. I'm going to get on the rights of the ladies here, so it, it's getting a little bit warm in here, but, but anyway, <laughs> don't go to sleep now. I'm, going to be, I'm almost done. Anyway, the rights of the child. Well, I, I've already said as much. It's not the rights of the child. It's the responsibility of dad. And this is from the, did I say this is from the Geneva Convention? No, I didn't say this. Um, from 10, 40 to, to 50 million people, including 6 million Jews, perished in World War II. The kings of the earth got together and said, we got to fix this horrible thing. And they came up with about four or five Geneva Conventions. And this is where human rights came from. This is where all the, right, the feminist rights, the rights of the child, all the rights of... of uh, uh, and how to fight wars and things like this. Now, nobody likes wars, but they said, we're going to stop them. Now, I've got nothing against Band-Aids, except we don't use them on cancer. And, hello? Genesis 3-5? Take the fruit, baby, and you're going to be clever like God. This is where we are today with society telling us what is right and wrong? Political correctness. The media, we are flooded with it. Anyway, the rights of the child is the responsibilities of dad. I touched that one. I want to close real soon, but I want to get on to this one about the woman. And we've got these, these, chat, these verses in 1 Timothy 2 that are often somewhat controversial in some circles. Um, don't want to let the woman speak in the, the congregation. Oh dear, my wife was up there this morning. And, but, but you know, we're, what is this all about? Then the next one, and, and this is the real, the, I think this is the real cruncher. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. And then there's the one about she shall be saved by childbearing. That's, that's uh, what if she's not married? Quick turn the page. Uh, these have been problems because we are looking at these things through Greek thinking and not through the Hebraic model. And I got to look, and this is just about two, three weeks old, what, what the Lord opened my understanding. That word deceived is the key. And that deceived probably has more of a concept of, of attacked. A concept of attacked. The woman was not a, uh, sorry, the man was not attacked. The woman was attacked. There is a relationship there. I've got to do some more study, but uh, I'm putting this together, and you're, you're some new guinea pigs here <laughs> to test the, test the waters. Adam was not attacked. And then I'm looking at this thing hebraically. The, the word chai, C-H-A-I, chai in Hebrew, is life. It's God's ultimate gift. It's God's ultimate design. And the woman was designed to be the cradle of Chai, womanhood in general. In other words, she has the supreme 
the, the, the supreme anointing of the, the continuity of life. She's the cradle of life by God's specific design. You know the queen bee in a hive? She's protected by 10,000 warriors. The woman was attacked. Slippery Slim slides in behind her while the security guard, Adam, wasn't looking. I don't want to be too mundane on that either. You sisters, don't be too hard. Because it's not a competition which is Greek. It's a partnership. And each one having his or her anointing from God and the glorious dynams of this world and whoever, the, the, the feminists who got this thing going, got this thing going, didn't know who they were in God, didn't know what the importance that the Almighty, they didn't even know the Almighty and the importance placed upon them as a womanhood. And Adam, you're the authority to look out after this precious, precious vessel, this precious cradle of life. And she shall be saved by childbearing. Well, that's not the individual. This is God is not going to let anything happen to this design. And that's why he's put the stronger one physically over to watch out for this protection. What security guard would ever beat up what he is supposed to protect? What, what, what overseer would ever belittle that precious diamond, gem, the gold, that he, the gold mine that he is supposed to look after. Greek thinking gives us all kinds of funny ideas. Hebraic thinking, the cradle of life is to be protected. I didn't say anything about, about um, equal opportunities. Yes, if a lady and a man are doing the same work, they should get pay, pay but that's not equal opportunities, that's justice. God is a God of justice. But equal opportunities, I just want to throw a quick one out here for equal opportunities. The other day we got a seven foot seven basketball player imported to Australia for one of the up and coming basketball teams over there. Now when I was a kid, if I wanted to be the center of the basketball team, I wouldn't have been. In fact, I didn't even make guard or forward. I was too little. I took the water jug out to those guys that were playing. <laughs> Wanna be. Equal opportunities is a formula for covetousness, for, for jealousy, for greed, and for competition. And it comes from Geneva. It comes from the Greek thinking of fixing the world's problems with band-aids. And What's the scripture say? Psalm 139, I knew who you were before you were born, and I don't know if there's anyone in here that is not in walking in Jesus Christ today. But God has a plan for your life. I knew every part of you before you were born and what he wanted you to be, not what we want to be. We are inundated with all of this stuff inundated with all this stuff. Uh, there is um, another thing about rules of warfare. 
Nobody likes war. We don't, we don't want to participate in the killing of anybody, but Geneva came with the rules of warfare. And one of those was no, you cannot have any displaced people. Not even if they put bombs on your buses and the, the flesh of little infants and, and old people are blown up to the fifth story. Not even if they blow up your restaurants. You mean you can't tell them to go over there to where they came from? No. Not according to Geneva. The deck is stacked against the Jew every way he turns around. How many of you remember? I'm going to finish in a moment here, but I just got a couple things. Don't get upset with me. How many of you remember Bosnia? You know what happened there? I was joking with some of the brethren here that I got my doctorate in Serbian studies down there in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that, Bob? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and... Uh, and, but I learned some things down there. Some hundreds of years ago, Turkish workers came over to Bosnia, which was Serbian land. And uh, not too long ago, they said, hey, this is our land. This, this belongs to Allah. You Serbs move over. And guess who helped them? I just make it short. NATO, United Nations. European Union and this country, all of Europe. I knew more about Kosovo because I was right in on the ground floor when that happened. The same thing came to Serbia. Not that they are the, you know, not that I, without any offense to any beloved Serbians here, they don't always do everything right. <laughs> but they are people. And they, have, they had houses and they had lands. And the Islamic, the, the, the Muslims came in from Albania on the west to where the heartland of the Serbian Orthodox Church, and I don't say that they haven't made a mistake or two either, that was the heartland of Serbia. The Albanians say, hey, Allah wants this. We've been here for a while now. Who helps them? Same people. You know what's shaping up right now in which I want to wake everybody up here? You know who's next? Israel. And you know what happened on May 26th? Uh, it's just about five weeks ago, May 26th of this year. President, who I think most, many of us, if not most of us, voted for, I did. I like to stand on moral issues. He made a U-turn with Israel. And he said, in negotiating with the terrorists who want to kill them, they have to go back to the 1949 borders just five weeks ago. This is happening all the time, and I encourage you to get onto some positive news sources from the Middle East to follow what's happening. What can we do? I've given up on writing letters to some of these situations because... I decided it's not, it's not productive to tell the devil to be good. I mean, there's another agenda behind this thing. But certainly, we can be informed, and we can be teaching others, and we can pray. Anyway, 
this thing, is, I mean, it is shaping up right now. We are going over there, and I reckon it's going to get hot. I, I, don't, I know that we're going to be okay. God's sending us over there. I'm going to write another book. I'm going to hide away in Galilee. But even at that, these next three weeks, when they're going to try to remove Jews, secular Jews who hate the religious Jews, are trying to remove them from Gaza for political reasons, and maybe even worse, we're going to be there. Uh, pray for us, but even more, pray for the God-fearing Jews that are waiting for their Messiah, even though they don't know his name. I'm going to close with what the other thing I know about the end times. Told you I'd tell you that. Revelation 13, 5, it's up there in your chart. I do have another one from Zechariah. I'm going to read that too. The Revelation 13, 5 says the beast, whoever that is or whatever entity that is, and we're not going to get into that, the beast was given a mouth to speak blasphemy against God and to overcome his people. That's you and me. And this is where I know that many of us are vulnerable. The beast was given a mouth to speak blasphemy against God and to overcome his people. And I know who that mouth is. It's the global media. There has never been such power from Nebuchadnezzar to Nero. Never such power as the media to create whatever they want to do. And they are carrying out the political correctness. There's much more than what I just described. You're going to have to read the book. The political correctness of this day, which is going back to that fruit in the tree, take it and you'll be like God. Humanity says we make our own rules and the world is coming apart. We need the Messiah. We need to live expectantly and we need to pray. And that mouth of the beast is the global media. It tells you everything what to think of from the Simpsons to everybody loves Raymond. I don't watch this garbage, but I know what it's about. And the so-called comic strips making fun of moral people. We're, we're, we're being targeted. And even though if the political leaders don't know who we are, they may know some of us. But the old enemy does, the old snake. We are being targeted, and there is an inundation. And the news reports, always slanted. They don't give you the news, they interpret the news. And what is politically correct? And what Canada just did a couple of weeks ago, or last week, or whatever it was, God help you. God help you. He will. But be aware that what the, the subtitle of my second book was The Evening News Won't Surprise Old Zachariah. Uh, it's the next edition didn't have that. They changed the subtitle for better clarity, but I kind of like that. Anyway, anyway, that's where we're at. And here is an interesting verse, and this is indeed the last one interesting verse in Zechariah. You see it there on the, on the chart. 9.13, the last half of that verse. I will rouse your sons, O Zion. Do you have any sons and daughters of Zion in here? 
I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. Who? Greece. Who we've just been talking about. Last days. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior sword. You heard the shofar. There's a battle out there. And we don't have time to play around. We must throw everything we have into it. I'm going to go on holiday when Messiah comes back. Up to then, we don't have too much time. Holiday, that's vacation over in, in the dialect of English over here. We'll take a vacation when Messiah comes back. Up to then, we got work to do, brothers and sisters. And if you're not in the family, now is the time to get in. Because there's a battle going on. I'm going to arouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. Father, I want to dismiss my brothers and sisters with your blessing in every way. Father, give us understanding, give us courage, and give us your wisdom and insight to do what we're called to do and be what we're called to be in these days. And Lord, may we pass on the message that what's happening in the world today is a reality that you spoke of through your prophets, through your Son, thousands of years ago. We pray, Father, that we can do everything within our power to stand beside you and be the spiritual soldiers that you've called us to be. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord Jesus, amen.